Hi, this is Jill Jarris. From September 2017 through April 2020, this podcast was known as Olympic Fever. We've since changed its name to keep the flame alive, but we're committed to keeping our back catalog available to you. So please keep the name change and this disclaimer in mind as you listen to it. Olympic is a trademark of the United States Olympic and Paralympic Committee, or USOPC. Any use of Olympic in the Olympic Fever podcast is strictly for informational and commentary purposes. The Olympic Fever podcast is not an official podcast of the USOPC. The Olympic Fever podcast is not a sponsor of the USOPC, nor is Olympic Fever associated with or endorsed by the USOPC in any way. The content of Olympic Fever podcast does not reflect the opinions, standards, views, or policies of the USOPC, and the USOPC in no way warrants that content featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show. We are ready to party with friends, get our Olympic trial parties going on. Y'all know I can't handle an Olympic event without trying to bring people over to my house and having a fun time. Mesdames et messieurs, the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be close. Welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever, the podcast for Olympics fans. I'm your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Allison, hello. How are you today? I'm hot. Are you Tokyo hot, though? You know what? It is Tokyo hot where I am this week. It was 93 degrees yesterday oh, with ouch. a lot of humidity, and then I stopped feeling sad about not going to Tokyo. <laughs> I saw a story really quickly that I, I didn't have chance to uh, I didn't have a chance to read the whole thing because it was in the London Times and uh, they put most of their stuff behind a paywall. So this was the teaser bit, but they were apparently going to bring back the umbrella hat for the volunteers in Tokyo that it was a thing and it went out of fashion. And so uh, the the one bit from the article was that they're like, oh, it's kind of not so stylish anymore, but I put it on and I was cooler. So we shall you know, see. There are certain things that you just, you know, grandma was right. Wear your comfortable shoes, mm-hmm. you know, wear the big floppy hat mm-hmm. and don't worry about how you look. Right. Because you will need a hat walking around. And I bet they Absolutely. would also encourage this because, well, I, I know a lot of people walk around with umbrellas there, as we'll hear from our guest today. But or this would not this would free up your hands. Right. And couldn't be used as a weapon to. Exactly. Exactly. Hurt others. So I don't know. I mean, you could take it off and beat somebody with the umbrella hat. Oh, well, you can beat somebody with anything. I know. Speaking of grandma. (laughs) Speaking of our guest today, we are so excited to have back superfan Sarah. She is here to talk about how to prepare for Tokyo 2020. And we talk about what to do to get ready for the games, whether you're staying at home or you're going to Tokyo to experience them in person. Plus, we have a little bit of extra content with uh, what it was like to be at the U.S. Gymnastics Classic event. Take a listen. 
We are so happy to welcome back superfan Sarah, who is Sarah Patton, back to the show. Sarah is known as Team USA's number one fan from Pyeongchang. She won a competition and got to go to the 100 Days Out celebration to meet all the Olympians and uh, celebrate her fandom. So, Sarah, welcome back to the show. How are you? Thank you. you. I am so good. Thanks for having me back. We are really excited to ask you how the U.S. Gymnastics Classic was, because if you remember, I went to the Nationals last year, Mm -hmm. and it was not uh, the experience I thought it would be. So how was the Classic? I think, if I remember correctly, that some of the stuff you talked about with championships last year, Mm -hmm. um, it was very obvious that there were not many sponsors. Right, right. And I'm sure that in 2018, coming on the heels of everything, and that was the same year as court um, for Nasser, that it was probably a big doom and gloom atmosphere. Since I wasn't at championships last year, I don't know how to compare it, but I will say that the atmosphere felt positive. Down here in Texas, we actually get NCAA gymnastics championships we were on a break for two years, but now we're in a contract. We're in Fort Worth. We're getting it for the next two or three years, I think. And NCAA gymnastics is loud and crazy and just huge and exciting. And so it definitely was not anywhere near that level, but it seemed to be that people were excited to cheer on the gymnast. The, there's not really sponsors except for GK, which they're exclusively a hard partnership. So, so still not sure how that's going to go. And I went and looked on their website and I'm pretty sure I just saw GK as still their only sponsor. So yeah, as far as sponsorship goes, not a ton going on. They did a good job of having GK leotards spread out in the lobby and kids were really excited to see those. And so that was kind of cool to see, but as far as the mood, I'd say it's probably a little more positive than it was a year ago, but (laughs) still... You can tell that there's not a ton going on. But as far as seeing gymnastics, it was great. The U.S. Classic has a tendency to be more of a warm-up competition, I think, for the rest of the season. And we saw spectacular gymnastics. Most of the gymnasts hit. We saw very few stumbles and falls. Even articles that I read were stating the same, that we're not used to Classic being so high-level Simone was fantastic as normal, and it was good to see a few collegiate gymnasts back in the mix. So overall, it was really good. (laughs) Yeah, because for GK, who is a a leotard and equipment manufacturer, to be the sole sponsor, that is a big step down because it used to be Procter & Gamble. Uh Uh-huh. At one point, it was called the secret, as in the women's deodorant U.S. classic. So to go from a huge international consumer goods Uh to a niche product within the sport that sort of lets you know where the sponsorship stage is is set that they're really competing on a different level than they were five ten years ago and who they're attracting and yes Simone Biles was trying a new trick I don't think she actually debuted in the competition but she was doing it in practice right yeah so this could be interesting yeah the triple double which just basically means you flip and turn so many times that any human mortal would die. But somehow she lands on her feet and smiles. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that doesn't surprise me that given that they're still in bankruptcy and working Mm -hmm. on that, that they're not getting sponsors and a lot of 
good positive attention, which is sad and frustrating. Yeah, for sure. It's sad for the gymnast, no doubt. But we also know that USA Gymnastics has (laughs) continued to just find themselves in crisis. And I'm cautiously optimistic about the new president. She hasn't said everything right. We know that, that she has said a few things that are tone deaf. But we saw her at the competition. She was actually going among the girls, mingling with the judges, and not in a way that I don't think is like mingling in a controversial way with the judges. But you could tell that she was present. And, you know, back in April, when we were at NCAAs in Fort Worth, she was there. And the next day flew out to men's NCAA gymnastics, I think. And and so I think her being there is already a step up than what we've seen in recent years with USAG presidents. For the sake of the gymnast, I hope that things continue to progress. The new president is Lili Luang, who is a former uh, collegiate gymnast, mm-hmm. as yeah. well as uh, leaders in uh, other sporting. I think she was at uh, women's basketball. Oh, the WNBA. <laughs> don't mind me. I just don't know letters. <laughs> so what do you think of for, for Tokyo 2020? The teams can only be four members for each gender. And then for Paris, they're going back to five What Uh do you think of that switch and how is it going to affect who it'll affect every team that gets to compete? Mm -hmm. What do you think of that? Well, I hate it being a four person team. (laughs) I agree. So for starters, let's get that out of the way. We do have the two extra specialist spots that you have people who are trying to qualify on the individual route to get to Tokyo, but it is a very confusing process. (laughs) I don't know if y'all have read much about that. But we have one gymnast that we know for certain, Jade Carey. Um, She specializes in vault and floor. And I think she's a silver medalist on both events from 2017 Worlds. She has made it clear that she's not really going for the team spot. She's trying to do the individual qualification to Tokyo. So I think it's cool in the sense that specialists have that opportunity to qualify as an individual. But at the same time... I mean, yeah, I, the, the part of me who loves watching Olympic people have their dreams come true. I want the more the merrier and I love the team competition. And so I'm excited that it'll go back to five in Paris. Maybe we'll all be surprised and somehow love the four person competition in Tokyo. But yeah, I'm, I'm not thrilled about it. I would say that the one thing that makes my makes a little bit of logical sense in my brain is you have four people and one per apparatus. Mm -hmm. But the men have six, so why wouldn't they have a six-person team? But, at the, I mean, I'm just trying to justify that decision in any way. Why take two people away from the sport that is insanely popular Mm -hmm. and take away Olympic dreams to, I, I, I would like, I would like to know where they slotted those two spots to, because of course we have more athletes than ever going to Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Well, they didn't take them away from gymnastics. They took them away from the team competition. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Right. Okay. Two extra slots for individual for, for, or apparatus specialists Mm -hmm. who won't be in the team competition. Right. And then that just doesn't make sense because everybody knows the team because the team competition happens first. And that's, so huge then when you get right. to these other specialties you're like what who huh hmm. mm-hmm. yeah it's tough and the whole thing about the two individual spots is 
And I know that if someone is listening who knows better than I do, then I am sorry for probably getting this wrong. But I believe that depending on how they qualify for those spots, there's a chance that, say, Jade Carey could qualify the United States to have one of those specialist spots. But if she gets injured, it was a spot for her and not for the United States. But there's also a way that you could qualify your country for the spot, which the other thing is like, she could have a banner two years. I mean, cause last year was great for her leading up to Tokyo. And then someone emerges. And I think the U S could also send someone else in her place, even if she's not injured. So it, it's very confusing. <laughs> there's a blog, which some people in the gymnastics community will know who this is, but Spencer from the balance beam situation, he, he's got a blog post somewhere that explains it all. And even with his intelligence and breaking it down, I'm still confused as heck, but yeah. So we have potential to get six athletes to Tokyo for both men's and women's gymnastics and artistic gymnastics, I should say, but yeah, I don't love it. And to your point, Jill, about the men with having six apparatuses, it's exhausting to me to think that they have to do so much more than what they did with even that extra person because it's three up, three count and team final um, as long as they're still going with that method, which they've done for the past several Olympics. And so that's just a lot of physical <laughs> exertion that, I mean, say that Sam McCulloch has a great competition, qualifies to all around. Is he going to be so exhausted? And I mean, at least I guess that's for everyone else too, but still, I just, I don't know. I'm worried about injuries. I, I understand that they're claiming that this is going to help some of the less known countries be better and be more competitive against the United States, at least on the women's side, but I don't like it. <laughs> Are more teams going to be in the competition because they, each team has fewer people? I don't think more teams get into the competition, but okay. the whole thing with individual individual spots, mm -hmm. um, I think that they're hoping that that gets more individuals qualified because okay. there's also something about, and this is also where it's confusing. So Jade Carey in 2018 chose not to go to Worlds as part of the team because that could somehow mess with her chances of qualifying as an individual, or at least that was the understanding at some point. And so somehow it's supposed to benefit people who don't have a solid team to carry them to the Olympics. But again, it's so confusing. So I'm sorry for any experts that are listening because <laughs> it's just, it's complicated. Thanks, Sarah. I'm so glad to hear that gymnastics, at least the, comp the competitive side of it, looks good and that we are looking forward to an exciting Tokyo 2020 event no matter who gets on the team the level of the sport is really exciting to watch so we are looking forward to that one other thing that's as fan you always wonder what sport would you be able to do as an Olympian or could you do or would you like to do and I've started seeing a little bit of the what sport are you quizzes that are out there? And we're going to see a lot of these over the next year. But mm -hmm. this one was based on Myers-Briggs personalities. So the three of us took it and we're going to figure <laughs> out what sports we would be good at. And I will qualify this with this was a test done for the 2014 Commonwealth Games. And I think they posted it just as like one year to go to Tokyo. So there's some different sports that aren't on the Olympic program, but uh, we shall see. So 
Sarah, as our guest, what did you turn out to be in the Myers-Briggs classification on this quiz? Yeah, surprisingly, and I say surprisingly because I feel like I always get something different. Uh, I got ISFJ, and my personality type is Defender. All right. So your sports type would be diving. Oh. And they say you perform tasks from memory with accuracy, grace, and great posture. Hey. Nice. I like that. I know. I'll, that's classy. I'll take that. I'm surprised by that, but I'll, I'll go for that. Well, I saw you do your beam routine <laughs> that you posted last year, and I would say grace, dignity, Bal good balance, always there. Oh, thanks. The uh, five-year-olds that were teaching me the Beamer team would probably argue with you. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you ever want to be humbled, have a bunch of level two gymnasts teach you a Beamer team. Uh, Allison, what was your Myers-Briggs Okay, so, so my Myers-Briggs type was ENFP, and it was called the campaigner. All right, which means in... Uh, this chart, you Why would am I be scared? rhythmic gymnastics. Oh, how funny. <laughs> you are creative and imaginative, and you enjoy improvisation. But I have bones, so I don't know <laughs> if that would work. Well, the Myers-Briggs doesn't know you have bones. This is your yeah. personality. Those girls do not have bones. <laughs> that is impressive. Oh. So what did you get? I got INFP which was the mediator, and I would be good at lawn bowls. So this is... <laughs> I don't even know okay. that is. It is like bowling on grass, I believe, but it's in the Commonwealth Games, but it's not an Olympic sport. And uh, I have long-range vision, calm, strides for alignment, and uh, congruence. But, so since it wasn't an Olympic sport, they had another chart, which would be what type of footwear are you? And I thought that... <laughs> So I went to that one thinking, well, if it wasn't an Olympic sport, maybe I could get a shoe that would be better. And INFP would be biodegradable shoes. And they have these sneakers as part of the, the picture. And I thought, well, you know, for Tokyo, with all of the recycling that they're doing, yes. biodegradable a sport that would require a shoe that could biodegrade would be fitting, I think, for Tokyo. But not too quickly biodegrade. Right, like you wouldn't want it biodegrading <laughs> as you're running. So that not a marathon, right? <laughs> okay, but Jill, I have to say that that description of lawn ball, I feel yeah. like the strengths of that could also apply to shooting or even archery. Oh, okay. So okay, I, you know, I'm I'm just saying. All right, like, I'll take that. Should okay, but now I want to know what shoe I am. <laughs> okay, <too>. so <laughs> what shoe you are, Sarah? The ISFJ. It baby shoes <laughs> it is not it is too funny i'll send this to you I to, better you I to, than me that's all i can say you fo focus on others growth quiet, quietly supports them to develop potential that's really good though. i think that sounds pretty accurate uh oh. enfp would be imaginative shoes and the picture here is a fish <laughs> You just no, envision it's, shoes yeah, no, on your yeah, feet? Exactly, yeah, because they're fish that have been turned into flip-flops. <laughs> I don't know why. Enthusiastic and versatile. Values novel ideas, whether or not they are sensible. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> but I can guarantee you I'm not wearing fish on my feet. 
That's right. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> that so. does not sound like a good idea. So we will link to this quiz in the show notes. So if you would like to take it and let us know what your sports and or shoe type is, let us know in our Facebook group. It's Olympic Fever Podcast Group. And or you can uh, hit us up on Twitter or Insta at Olim Fever. So I thought that was pretty fun. I'm imagining I have shoes on. (laughs) (laughs) So, Sarah, as a super fan. Yeah. We are one year out. What should our listeners, who are also fans, if they are staying home and will not be traveling to Tokyo, what should they think about doing and how far to plan out? Okay, well... Even if they are traveling, this applies to them. But other than the basics of following Olympic fever, enjoying the Facebook group for the fun discussions that we have, (laughs) I would say right now I have been stocking up on anything I can find that's left over from 4th of July sales that are on clearance and getting ready for parties. So y'all know I'm hoping to be in Tokyo next summer. Uh, We have tickets that all are for the second week of the games so far, and opening ceremony tickets look really difficult to get. So we might just be having a big opening ceremony party again before we actually go (laughs) over to Tokyo. So that being said, look for the sales, look for all the party decor, and take advantage of sales that are going on right now. But from a non-party planning standpoint, make sure that you are following... I have certain journalists that I love to follow who tend to just be on top of everything. One of them is Nick Sicardi from NBC Olympics. He is someone I've been following for years, and he does a phenomenal job of following any Olympic-related event. So I've been trying to keep up with Pan Ams and swimming championships and then track and field national championships, and that is a lot at once. And he's done a great job of reporting some of the key stories from each of those events. So follow him. I would also recommend if you are on social media, start following all the outlets that you can, such as Tokyo 2020. Um, Allison, I think you commented on this earlier this week, but what the Tokyo 2020 accounts have been doing is they've been posting each day, like one year from now, here's the events that will take place. And so it's exciting to kind of think about but events will be coming up, especially those first-time events. If you are on social media, follow your local governing body or your national governing body, I should say, because they're obviously getting all the promotional stuff out. Ben Fisher, I love following him. So yeah, I, I've become a junkie where all my social media channels, I go from following all the winter athletes to where I start following all the summer athletes and <laughs> start gearing up. And I look for any excuse to talk about the Olympics with people around me. So I'm all about getting people into the spirit whenever I can. So there's some basics of kind of the the mental mode that I'm in right now. And, you know, my husband appreciates that at 11 o'clock the other night, PM, mind you, I started blaring the Olympic song for no reason at all. So... (laughs) (laughs) Sarah... You are pregnant. That is reason enough. (laughs) Yeah, when I try to play the pregnancy card for things like that, it doesn't really work for me. So, (laughs) 
Yeah, he knows me too well. (laughs) Just because you would do it when you weren't pregnant is not the point. (laughs) So he's excited about the Olympics too. I think that now that we have been married through two Olympics, which was the first one was Rio and then Pyeongchang, which obviously that took us to a whole new level with the whole New York trip. (laughs) He's in. And so that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So this will be Olympics, Summer Olympics number two. Yes. Yeah. For for the marriage. So this is good. You know, you've made it through summer. You've made it through winter. Yeah. And hopefully, like I said, we're planning to go to Tokyo. We'll see how things go once we have a child. (laughs) So we have a couple of different possibilities for next summer, which is either leaving an eight-month-old with the grandparents, which have already committed to babysitting, or we found out that if you're under two, you don't need a ticket to go to sporting events. Just and strap him right on you. You will be yeah. Sure set. Yeah. You will be, be hot, though. Yes, I will be just like Nicole Phelps in 2016 watching Michael. So get, get the little headphones and everything. But, yeah, we'll see. So all that to say, hopefully we'll be in Tokyo. But we, we are ready to party with friends, get our Olympic trial parties going on. Y'all know I can't handle an Olympic event without trying to bring people over to my house and having a fun time. Let me ask you this, because we talked to Claire about how she plans out what she's going to watch. Do you have a very strict plan or do you wing it? Yeah. So I, let's see, before Pyeongchang, um, about a month out, we started, which I'm probably not as organized as Claire, but We started figuring out what the schedule was, obviously with the time difference. Like we were so spoiled with Rio because the time zone was so similar. Tokyo is going to be rough, but that's okay. So events that we think we want to watch, we we have been known to take holidays off work (laughs) if we need to watch something. But fortunately with technology, we take the Olympics with us wherever we go through our phones because we are those people. But yeah, so we put together a spreadsheet. There are certain events that we know that we have to watch and then others that if we need to go back and watch the replay, we make sure when discussing cable plans that we always have access to important channels for Olympic trials and the Olympics. So it kind of depends on what we actually have access to, what we might need to stream online, things like that. So I, I hear you. So looking into that now would be a good idea. Absolutely. Checking to see what channels you have, what channels you need. Yes. Uh, don't, the end. don't wait until the week of in case it's too late. Like That's, like start that's true because sometimes you can't hook things up. You can't right. get it live quickly enough. You have mm-hmm. to wait until the cycle is, is there. So Tokyo, you have been several times. Yes. Well, how much time have you spent there? Yeah, so I spent four summers there. Two of those summers, I was there for three months. Two of the other summers, I was there just about a month. I love Japan. It is like a second home to me. I still keep in touch with people who live there. I had a Japanese friend fly to the United States for our wedding. It's just, it's a wonderful place. We can't wait to go back. So in thinking about like neighborhoods to stay in, have you looked at like where the venues are on a map compared to what good neighborhoods to stay in? Did you always stay in the same place or did you stay in different places? Twice I stayed in the same place, which was Shibuya. And if you guys have done any research on Tokyo, Shibuya is the place that 
has the really busy intersection. It's usually one of the first shots that they show when showing Tokyo, so it is crazy. And it's actually not too far from Yoyogi Park, um, which is where they are going to have some of the events. So Shibuya is wonderful, and I would love to stay there, but it's probably going to be super expensive because it already is, even without the Olympic Games being there. Other times that I went, I stayed in Asakusa, which is near Skytree, the really tall building that they have. And that was, it's a great neighborhood. I will say I've, I've been in several neighborhoods in Tokyo and not once have I ever felt unsafe. Nick and I kind of have this mentality that even if we have to commute 45 minutes or so to the Olympic sites, we're fine with that because everything in Japan is so efficient. If a train says it is showing up at 8.02, it is showing up at 8.02, not, not before, not after. That is when it will show up. And if you've seen the videos of people being stuffed onto trains and having assistance with that, that does happen. But it, everything is clean there. So if you can just handle a short train ride of being packed, it's okay. Like there's worse places for that to happen. <laughs> But yeah, so I would say most neighborhoods around Tokyo are great. Where the sites are, like we know, we've been monitoring it, that there's allegedly some price gouging going on that is concerning and not exciting. But where the Olympic venues are, Odaiba, I've spent a lot of time there. Um, it's a beautiful area. can't wait to see how the Olympics play out there. But I would say, so there's a train that runs in a circle um, a train line, it runs in a circle around Tokyo. And if you could stay somewhere off of, it's green and it's called the Yamanote. And if you could stay somewhere along there, it's going to make commuting to the Olympic venues really easy. Oh, okay. Because the, the venues, even though they're, they are like laid out in some kind of infinity sign, right. but right. they are fairly close to that loop train line. Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that's so different because... Oh, there are multiple train operators in Japan as well, in Tokyo as well, correct? Yeah, so the, like, everyday train that you would take to commute back and forth is the JR. And so you have several colored lines. And if you look at a map, it can be overwhelming, but I promise anyone can figure it out. And then, of course, they have, like, the Shinkansen and, like, the underground trains and all that. But, yeah, the JR line that is green and the Yamanote. You can stay somewhere along there it will get you to any train station to connect to any other line that you may need to get on to get to your destination. And ticket-wise, what do they call their little passes? Because you can really get like a, a prepaid card or, or a transit card, and that's a lot easier yeah. to get around. Yes. So as long as the name hasn't changed in the past nine years since I've been there, it's called a Suica, S-U-I-C-A. And you just tap it on the gate and you get right in and it works like a little debit card look to see what your suica card can do because it can do so much more than get you on and off the train right which is good if for when we talked about the credit card issue mm -hmm. if you put if you buy the suica card that's one international transaction one international transaction fee mm -hmm. and then if you're using your suica card you've already spent that money on your right. credit card so that's also a way to make it a little cheaper and a little more efficient. Yeah, absolutely. And I will say vending machines at train stops, I probably spent too much money on them because the drinks are so fun. Um, they have really good 
coffee, like cold coffee inside the vending machines and lots of water and lots of electrolyte drinks. One of them is called Picari Sweat. And I'm just going to say, get that in your brain if you're going to Tokyo because you're going to need to stay hydrated. Yeah, it's going to be hot. We've talked about that a lot, that it's just... Yeah, so you've been in there in the summer. What is the heat and humidity like? Okay, so disclaimer, living in Texas, I'm used to the heat. So it didn't affect me as much as it affected friends who were from other places that I met in Japan who were from like California or Nick being from Kansas. And so it's just a different type of heat with all the humidity. So you want to wear light clothes. Um, Like I wore lots of just summer dresses while I was there or shorts. But Japan does a really good job of they're so used to the heat and dealing with it there that a lot of them carry umbrellas to shade themselves. Lots of sun hats. And and they're a culture where you always want to look decent. Like you don't want to look like the tacky American that is showing up with like just Nike shorts and a t-shirt unless you're an athlete. And during the Olympics, I'm sure you can get more used to it. But over there, it, it was very much fashionable, but they have ways of shielding the sun from their skin, I guess you could say. And so do what the Japanese do because they're, they're used to it. They live through it. And so I would just ask my friends, like, where do I go get a, an umbrella to keep the sun away from me? So yeah, just if you look around, if you've ever traveled to another culture before, look around, make observations and do as the locals do. And I think that that will help a lot. And of course, stay hydrated. Um, I'm in a Facebook group for getting tickets for Tokyo, just tips and stuff. And someone was asking if they have water fountains throughout Japan. And I only remember seeing water fountains in a park. However, I was a college kid, so go ahead and judge me for this. I used to fill water bottles up in a bathroom. Like, if I went to a McDonald's, I would fill up the water bottle in the bathroom. The tap water there is great. It was fine. Tasted good. So you don't have to break the bank. And, again, go ahead and judge me. I was a college kid. Maybe it'll be different as a 30-year-old in Japan. But, yeah, that was one of the things that I would do to stay hydrated. No doubt there'll be the uh, umbrellas with the Olympic rings on them. Yes. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. They'll put those things on anything and sell them in the little shop. Yep. The, the, cool flag. the interesting thing is I hope they let those through security because in, at oh, least in America, yeah. you would have a problem getting an umbrella through security. But I think mm-hmm. it's an essential thing to have in Japan, or at least the locals will ha- be used to having them. Right. Because you do see them around a lot. So it'll be interesting to see security-wise what can be let in and what's not let in. Absolutely. Also, speaking of culture, food. What kind of food? And, and it's, you know, if you think about Japan, it's not all sushi. That is so true because let me tell y'all, I hate fish. <laughs> um, so when I tell people I've been to Japan multiple times, they are surprised that I did not starve. So food-wise... Of course, if someone made me fish, I would eat it because it's the polite thing to do. But there is some really good food through Japan. There is a particular restaurant that I think they have locations in California called Yoshinoya. And it's orange and white. And a lot of these places that they have over there are similar to Yoshinoya, where you actually order your food through a type of vending machine looking kiosk. You get a ticket, hand it over the counter. And so you would get rice bowls, and they do have seafood options at these little hole-in-the-wall places, but 
I ate a lot of rice with beef and onions. So really good. They also have dishes called tonkatsu and katsudon, which is like fried chicken or fried pork over rice, sometimes smothered in egg. Try all the snacks, all the pastries. There's some really good pastry shops. Everything there is done so well and so efficiently that I don't remember ever eating anything that was bad. Even McDonald's tastes better over there. So, you know, I'm not going to encourage you (laughs) to go be the person that spends all their meals at McDonald's, but you need to have McDonald's at least once, once for breakfast, once for a meal, because there's just something different about it. And it's so yummy. (laughs) And we're not going to recommend that now because they're not sponsors anymore. So we can't. I mean, that is true. That is true. But yeah, everything there is just, it's also good. Um, Lots of shaved ice. That's also a way to stay hydrated. Shaved ice, you can get it all the time. And it's kind of like Hawaii, where it's just very accessible and tasty. All right. Excellent. I'm excited. I'm very excited to go. Yeah, it's Um, my favorite place I've ever been to. Thank you so much, Sarah. You can find the link to the personality test on our website, olimfever.com, and we'll include a link to the sports results. Hey, let us know what sport you fall into. Uh, You can do that on our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast, or send us a a message on uh, Twitter or Insta at olimfever, and we are also olimfever at gmail.com. I've been swinging clubs ever since I found out. Have you really? <laughs> I've got my hoop. I've got my ribbon. I've made my appointment with the doctor to remove all the bones from my hips and shoulders. I'm ready. Working on your splits and all that. How's your leotard uh, uh, bedazzling coming? Let me tell you something. I can actually still do a split. That is impressive. But only on one side. I'm very impressed. I was and never. I do need to warm up first, but yes, I can still do a split. I may yeah. not get up too quickly, <laughs> but I can still get in there. Oh, well, I have not been working too much on my lawn bowls. I will tell you that. That's because it's hot out. <laughs> the lawn right. bowls would burst into flames. <laughs> but maybe next week. Who knows? All right. Uh, let's move on to our team Olympic fever update. Four of our Team Olympic Fever members have been competing at the Pan American Games in Lima, Peru. That would be modern pentathlete Samantha Achtenberg, Team Handball Captain Sarah Gascon, uh, Shooter Kim Rohde, and Artistic Swimmer Jacqueline Simino. And and I got to tell you, I put a little thing up that, that was cheering them on right at the start of the Pan Am Games. I put that on Twitter and I tagged all of them. And then I thought later, like, what if they met? And they might be like, oh, hey, I recognize your name. And then they work it back to they were both on Team Olympic Fever. And then it would just be weird. (laughs) (laughs) Like, oh, you're on Team Olympic Fever, too? Huh. They're nice, but they're a little crazy. (laughs) I did mention, I think, on Facebook, in our Facebook group, what happens if two members of Olympic Fever meet? (laughs) Like, is there there a a tear in the space-time continuum? (laughs) I don't know. So, yes, it's it's possible that there's, you know, and it bursts into Olympic flames or something. Something. I don't know. I don't know. So how have they been doing? Oh, it has been an interesting game. I will tell you that. So this is a, a big deal, like many continental games. It's like one step down from the Olympics. So mm-hmm. the European games have been going on. The Pacific games have been going on. 
and this is the one for North and South America. So Samantha Achtberg won a silver medal in the Women's Modern Pentathlon, which means she is qualified for Tokyo 2020. And she had a really good competition. Like She did. Sometimes she's up and down, especially with the fencing, but her fencing was a lot better. It's uh, because in modern pentathlon, you do have to fence every other competitor on uh, in the competition, and you only fence one point. So it's a really quick match, but you have to just keep going over and over and over again. And Samantha has been known to have more losses than wins but this time she was really even in terms of wins and losses which which was good and then she had a really good ride a really good swim and and then she got to the laser run oh gosh and she, she kills was, every yes, time exactly she was a minute four down and then ended up in second place so that proud of her and then, and then... <laughs> right then she won gold in the women's relay which she did with uh teammate jessica davis so Two events, two medals for Samantha. So good. So proud of you. So nice. Then the poor women's handball team. This happened last night. I felt so bad. Okay, let's let's start off. They played really well, and they made the semifinals, which the U.S. women's handball team has not done since 2003. And then they were playing Brazil to get to the gold medal match. And I, I watched that game and it, it was fun because I was chatting back and forth with listener Don on uh, Twitter while we were watching because we were having a really good time trying to figure out what was going on and the energy was really high. But oh my gosh, it's like the Brazilians looked like they kept growing as they were on the court. They were so tall and they could just throw the ball over the U.S. Okay, I'll say it. Did they look like Amazons? They did look like Amazons. But they were great. The Brazilian team really was great. And Brazil did end up to go on to win the gold medal. So, you know, you were playing the best in the competition. But that meant they got to go on to the bronze medal match, which they lost to Cuba 24-23. Oh. It was so heartbreaking to see that. And... I know they, I mean, like, if I was on that team, I would have a big, ugly cry, and I would wallow for a good day. But but they... only a day, because have you seen some of the things that people have been posting from the the village? No, I haven't. At the Pan American Games? No. This place is rocking. Yeah? They're having a great time. There are street performers everywhere. There are some people who have been out at all hours after their competition is over. <laughs> <laughs> So I, they will get their ugly cry, and then they will go, I hope, enjoy what Peru has been dishing up for them at the games, because it looks like it's amazing and wonderful and really taking care of the athletes. I hope so, yeah. And they should be really proud of what they've done, because they've, really, they've gone farther, they've worked so hard, and I think they've done a great job. Not the I result agree. they'd won, of course, but, you know, that's sport. You can't always determine the result. You know, exactly. we've talked to so many athletes all about what you can do and what you mm -hmm. can control. Mm -hmm. You can't control that the Brazilians are Amazons. <laughs> um, I love a geography pun. I don't get to do that too often. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, then moving on to artistic swimming. We While we are taping, the finals are happening, but after the technical round, Jacqueline Simoneau is first, both in the duet, which she's doing with Claudia Holtzner, and the Canadian team is in first place. And in the duet, I think 
they got a high their highest score that they've gotten oh, for their technical. Oh, really? Oh, good for them. They were three. So if it may, isn't their highest, it certainly is a maybe a season high. They killed it in the technical. Oh, it was good, good, so good. much fun to watch. Good, good, good. They I do am... this thing where their leg flips over and it looks like they're flying. It's, I don't know. I couldn't, I couldn't do that on land. <laughs> I'm excited about that. And it's nice because a lot of the stuff has been on ESPN3, which is online streaming. So it's been fun watching that. So I appreciate that. And then Kim Rohde has not yet competed. So we will have an update on her next week. Filming has wrapped on season three of Milk Life Presents, the next Olympic hopeful, which is Team USA's reality TV show looking for new Olympic talent. We've had season one winner Josh Williamson, our Team Olympic Fever bobsledder. He was there on season three to mentor the contestants, just like he was for season two. And we've had some episodes about uh, next Olympic hopeful on. So I, I believe the... TV show is going to air at like the end of December. Oh, so that we, late. Yeah, it's going to be yeah. it's going to be year happening. Was it was around Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah, so this is their the end of year holidays. Ah, okay. So okay. So we will be on the lookout for that. And then finally, you will be hearing the dulcet tones of Jason Bryant at the Canadian Olympic Trials for Wrestling. So he's going to be the one of the in-house announcers for that very exciting they will be taking place december 6th through 8th in niagara falls ontario and the hotel that the host hotel is looking right over the falls it's got a beautiful view it's not that far away from me it's kind of cold though december yeah yeah it'll be cold it'll be cold but the dulcet tones yes and the the dulcet tones tones will keep you warm All right, moving on to Tokyo 2020 news. The boxing schedule has been released, so that means they are one step closer to being able to finalize and put on a boxing tournament since the AIBA was stripped of its right to host it. The schedule runs from July 25th through August 9th, which is basically the entire games. And there will be five weight categories for women and eight for men. It's good that they are one step closer because I would have had a problem. If I was on that commission and I didn't know too much about boxing, that would that would be a steep learning curve to put that together. So Yeah. Wow. Also, uh, Tokyo 2020 has unveiled their Waterfront City concept. In caps. Every yes, time all- we see it, it's it ev- Waterfront City is all in caps. Right. So this is basically like a... I, I would call it uh, something akin to an Olympic park. So they're going to have an Olympic. It's it's right around seven different venues on the waterfront. They're going to have an Olympic promenade. There's going to be this urban festival. There's going to be a playground. There's going to be a big Tokyo 2020 store, places to hang out and take part in sporting activities, which will be fun. And then the Olympic and Paralympic cauldron will also be in this area as well so it looks like it's going to be cool it looks like a really fun place to hang out and that will be i imagine where you will see me sometimes and you don't need tickets to go there no so that's the other nice thing you're right and it looks like there's going to be a mega store there as well mm-hmm. so yeah i get definitely get the impression that this is the where you're going when you're not going to an event specifically right right but it's going to be hot. It will be hot. So maybe at the mega store, you can get your umbrella hat. 
There you go. Or I wonder if they'll do those things like they do at Disney where they have the sprinkler stations. Oh, they might. I would where you I would not through. be surprised if they have little cooling areas. But uh, That would be fun. Yeah, it should be fun. I'm really excited Getting about that. Getting sprayed with Olympic water. <laughs> the Japan government has also released the uh, commemorative coin design. So uh, several Olympics have had coins that have been produced that have been part of circulation like london 2012 had coins like uh, i want to say it was their 25 pence coin maybe but they all had sports on the back i know vancouver's quarter they had sports on the back well there's going to be a 500 yen coin for the olympics the coin will feature the thunder god and for the paralympics it uh, will feature the wind god and this was what the people voted on they voted the wind god and thunder god uh, the the drawings for the coins are based on this uh, famous painting, The Wind God and Thunder God Screens by uh, Tawaraya Sotatsu, and it's a 17th century national treasure. So that got the most votes over Mount Fuji and the new national stadium. And it doesn't look like they'll be in circulation much, but you can go to a bank and exchange a 500 yen coin for one of these. I can understand why they wouldn't be in circulation, because they're terrifying. They are scary. This is the scariest looking coin I have ever seen. But national but it, treasure and... But it would make me want to buy things because I would want to get rid of the coin. <laughs> no, that's not true. I would probably keep the coin and, you know, right. here, look at my coin. Right. I'm a, you can be afraid of me. I will get the Thunder God <laughs> after you. But that's very cool. I'm glad they're doing it because having the coin is also always really fun. It's a nice little souvenir, and it's nice that you'll be able to get one basically for just 500 yen. So I have to tell you, what I've been seeing all over social media about Tokyo 2020 and planning your travel, the hotel situation is now oh, no. a huge situation. I have seen several instances where people had bookings for rooms or Airbnbs, and they've been canceled and told they need to rebook. And the new the new price is like five to eight times higher. Oh, so what? people are, you know, you're staring down the door of like hotel rooms for a thousand dollars a night, and wow. that's just insane. It's insane to expect that. I know people are are getting worried if they don't have a place to stay right now. Honestly, I just want to tell everybody to hold off, don't book anything, make them wait, sweat it out lower the price because they don't think there's demand that's my solution so okay don't know if that'll well, work i wonder if there are two little blips like now it's the year out everybody bought their tickets they're starting mm -hmm. to book their flights everybody's trying to get this all settled so they just went crazy with the jacking the price up mm -hmm. and some of that will settle out because possibly the organizing committee is going to step in and say you cannot do this you, well, you have to hope. You have to hope that the organizing committee will put the kibosh on this. Yes. Because and the Japanese subsequently the Japanese government would be like, this is not how we treat guests. Right. And that's been so like that honor and shaming, especially like how Sarah talked about that. I mean, it's very embarrassing to have your people being thought of as gougers. Right. And are people going to start canceling their plans because they can't get a hotel? That's the other problem. So yeah. we know that from everybody we've talked to, from, from Ken and from Roy and, and other people, that 
the Tokyo Olympics are going to be in extremely high demand. The Japanese people are very much behind it and will be coming. But you don't want to be known as the gouging Olympics. Well, and sadly, most Olympics are that way, in a well, sense, especially the hotel. There's gouging. You know, so. there's gouging, and then there's a, a, a mortal cannot afford that. Right. Well, that that's that ends up being. Yeah, what happened? So we'll see. I was reading a blog called Running with Miles, and they had a little post about uh, the Hilton hotels being sold shown as sold out. But that's not quite the story. And there's rooms that haven't been released yet. So you just need to keep watching so that they could be selling those rooms to distributors, they could be putting packages together, or it could they be could that be federations the, or the I was say, they could be one of the three star hotels. Right. When we were looking yes. at the planning board, you had a certain number of four star hotels, certain number exactly. of five star hotels. And they could have an agreement where a certain amount of their rooms are being held. Right. For officials and dignitaries and volu- I know there's some volunteer rooms that they hold. And they won't know that probably until January or February. Right. So hang tight. This uh, blog also mentioned that Hyatt was doing the same thing with their hotels in Tokyo. So, yeah, it's really frustrating right now. And it's I don't want to say worrisome, but it it does like when you want to plan, you want to plan a trip and you just want to get everything locked down. And this is a huge element of your experience. And when you can't get it locked down or it suddenly becomes eight times the cost you thought it was going to be and you feel like you no way you can afford that i would try to have patience that cruise ship room is looking better and better yeah isn't right it? so we'll see i don't know maybe they can put another cruise ship out there <laughs> let's move on to some other olympic news in the u.s there is going to be a bill going through our government uh, that's called the Empowering Olympic and Amateur Athletes Act of 2019. This is based off of a study that showed that uh, there were a lot of failures in the system when it comes to protecting athletes against abuse. And so... Really? (laughs) So the government wants to introduce some kind of measures to have a little bit more oversight over the USOPC and uh, allow for protections. They can also remove the board anytime they want. Wow. And your your senator is one of the co-sponsors. Yes, he is. Um, I did read on the Sports Examiner that one interesting point about the government having more oversight is that the IOC apparently doesn't like that, and I believe it's in some of their rules. So we shall see. But but like they pointed out, not like other countries don't do it. So we'll see what happens and how far this bill gets. And not like the athletes have been adequately protected. They have Correct. been. So right. So there's got to be something. It's got to be something. In other legal news, the Castor-Semenya saga keeps going on. The Swiss Supreme Court has ruled that she may not compete at the IAAF World Championships while she awaits the outcome of her appeal, which is appealing the decision that women who have elevated levels of testosterone must medically reduce them for certain races, which also happen to be the races that she runs. That is a bit frustrating. And we've learned to end on a happier note. The 
International Volleyball Federation is having their intercontinental Olympic qualification tournaments this weekend for the women. This is this I thought was a really cool setup because there are six tournaments held around the world on the same weekend. And each tournament has four teams, and that is uh, the top 24 teams in that are ranked in their international rankings. And the winner of each will go to Tokyo. So the tournaments will be in Wroclaw, Poland, Ningbo, China, Posier City in the United States, uh, Uberlandia in Brazil, uh, Kaliningrad in Russia, and Catania in Italy. And so the team assignments were determined by an S-curve uh, with all, all of the host leagues playing at home. So the U.S. is hosting, the U.S. is ranked number third, and they're hosting Argentina, uh, which is ranked number 11th, Bulgaria, which is ranked 16th, and Kazakhstan, which is ranked 23rd. And there's going to be round-robin play all weekend, and the winner of the tournament goes to the Olympics. That's exciting. I understand that, exciting. that some of our listeners might be at the tournament. So if you are, let us know. Send pictures on uh, and tag us on social media. And then uh, the men's equivalent of this is going to be next weekend. And they will have their continental tournaments in Varna, Bulgaria, Rotterdam, Netherlands, uh, Bari, Italy, Gdansk, Poland, St. Petersburg, Russia, and Ningbo, Ningbo China. So we will have links on the show page to uh, let you know where the tournaments are and how to get tickets. I'm excited about that. That's a really cool way to get some of their qualify qualifications down. Where is Bossier City? It is uh, Shreveport. Oh, uh, okay. So it's yeah, in Shreveport's right like, over the river, I think. Yeah. I have never heard of that. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that will be a fun weekend. Going to be hot. It is going to be hot. Well, you know, you practice. Get used to it. You practice your heat. Especially if you're not going to have a hotel room and you're going to be sleeping <laughs> rough in Tokyo. Hope it's that's not the case. Hot. Oh, I, I hope that is not. not the case. That is not the case. <laughs> On that note, I think we will wrap it up for this week. We will catch you back here for next week for more Olympic stories. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, keep the flame alive. Stay in touch. Email us at olymfever at gmail.com. That's O-L-Y-M fever at gmail. You can also leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. We're on Twitter at olymfever, and you can join in the conversation at our Facebook group, Olympic Fever Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep the flame alive. Those girls do not have bones.